This is no empty word for us. This is, like I was telling the kids, this is God's word, authoritative in every way. And he says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And if you do all these things, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. And so you will also be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. And so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. That's the word of God to us this morning. You can be seated. The book of Proverbs, as all of Scripture, while giving us a lot to think about, a lot of specific details in Proverbs, it's not primarily meant to simply make us better people more moral, wiser in our eyes or the eyes of others around us. This book is written that we might know God and experience real life. Uh, do, do you believe that? That's just a foundational question this morning. This book is not simply a rule book. It is a book that God has written so that we might know him and experience real life in him. Real contentment, real peace, real hope, real purpose, real meaning amid a life that is filled with all sorts of threats working against all of that. This book tells us uh, uh, the life that is at the core of a heart of godly wisdom that understands that we exist to honor and glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to enjoy the one who loves us so deeply, so eternally, so infinitely. He loves us. He really, truly does. To know that God, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the situation, no matter how happy you are, no matter how sad you are, no matter how depressed you are, no matter how anxious you are, the God of the Bible that we are being introduced to again and again and again, Sunday after Sunday, every time we open this book, is the God who gives real life, real joy, real contentment amid all of the significant sorrows that we face. It's a life that is, that is real, wonderful, and glorious, victorious. 
we are in a theological sphere of, of those who, who tend to look at, at Puritans and, and we, we love the Puritans and they seem like sometimes we'll look at them and they just seem dour, they seem sad, they seem depressed, they seem like they're never quite making it, it's not really victorious, but really deep down in their lives, deep down in their lives and deep down in the lives of people who really long for God are people who have found this real life a real savior, a real contentment, and they love the word of God. Do you, the question is, do you really want to know a life of freedom and joy? I, I know the answer in each one of our hearts is, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I want to know a life of peace. I want to know a life of contentment. I want to know a, a life of real rest. Don't you, moms? Real rest. People who are anxious here in this room, real rest, freedom from anxieties and, and hope and joy. Do you believe even for a moment that we have come today to a chapter that speaks to us of this kind of life that we really truly can have? Or do we come just kind of thinking, well, we're just going to listen to guy talk, a, a guy that we haven't seen for 12 weeks and he's just going to talk about some stuff and then we'll walk away. Or do you look at Proverbs 2, or any time we open God's word, you look at it and say, oh, give me this life. I need this life. We come to this chapter and we find no secret knowledge that one must kind of dive in and kind of try to understand, like every third letter, you know, adds up to something and it makes some sort of secret thing that someone might know. No list of 20 application points for successful living. We don't have to dig and know the biblical languages or understand the Eastern culture that this was written in. We come face to face with a simple conversation between a father and a son. Just like a conversation that you would have with your son or your daughter. We come face to face with that about how, to, about how he's telling his son that he can take hold of real life that knows no end. This morning I want us to consider three things together. First, we're kind of going to turn this text a little inside out. And I want to look specifically first the fact that there are many problems that we face that threaten the wonderful life that we long for. And then I want to move to the second point, and that is that there are many promises that we're given to save us from those problems. And then thirdly, and finally, there is the last point, that there is a provision for us to take hold of these promises and truly experience the real life that God's Word holds out to us. So first, let's consider in a negative kind of way, but a realistic kind of way, that the fact that there are many problems we face in life that threaten the wonderful life we long for. They threaten to undo us, is the way a song might say it. We feel those threats regularly, don't we? If you're like me, the first thing you might have thought about as being a problem in my life is, is outside of myself, is more like in the culture or more other people, threatens the wonderful life that we long for, maybe circumstances uh, in our lives or whatever. But the first issue that I want to speak of this morning is the foundational problem of not truly knowing God. That, that, that danger, that threat is alive 
at work in me this morning and in each one of us of truly not knowing God. To know God truly is to believe in him. To believe on him, to trust him, to uh, rejoice in him and to be absolutely in a fearful kind of wonder that the holy creator, the perfect creator, loves us and wants to have an intimate relationship with us and intends to do so. To know God is to know the deepest of loves. To know God is to know that he sings over you and takes pleasure in you and is committed to you. To know God is the greatest of joys. To know God truly is to know the most lasting contentment and satisfaction and rest in one's life. That's what it really means to know God. To know God truly is to trust his word, to trust his speech, to trust his promises, to believe what he says on account of who he is and to walk in glad obedience to him. That, that's to know God. It's not just a cognitive thing. It's not just knowing about God. It is knowing him. It's, it's, a, it's an intimate kind of word to really know him and experience him by way of following him and trusting him. And yet, do we who long for real life, who have professed to know him and have faith in him, not regularly choose to not believe the God who loves us. Yesterday, for me. This morning, for me. Let's be real. Do we not doubt his character? Do we not doubt his goodness? Do we not doubt his love for us? Do we not question his sovereignty when things happen in our life that are way outside of our ability to control and it's causing significant pressure on us, significant pain, significant sorrow? Do we not wonder if he's really faithful to all his promises? I mean, you said such and such a thing, but it seems that you're not doing it. Do we, do we not tend to forget him when all seems well? Do we not have a tendency to cling more closely to and clamor for readily the gifts of felt goodness and provision that God provides rather than clinging to the giver himself no matter what it is we receive in our hands? We have been given the giver of all good gifts, a relationship with him. A primary problem we face comes not from outside of us but from within ourselves, within our own hearts, and it threatens the wonderful life we long for. We say we want life, abundance, and yet we, we question the God of abundance. The problem of thinking we know God and yet choosing day in and day out to live in perhaps quiet opposition to him or, or general indifference to him or really just generally not believing him for all the mundane things in life let alone the enormous things. So, so when I'm laying in bed in Canada and my dad dies, and Friday night, June 30th, I lay in bed and I'm crying out to God. This is, this is your pastor, the one who believes God's word. I trust God's word. I, I preach God's word. I will, sh I will counsel God's word with, with surety. And I'm crying out to God, this better be true. This eternity thing 
this gospel, this, this hope in Christ, this better be true because it's the only thing that's going to get me through this. And it's the only thing that's going to get each one of us through anything. This reality. Is it true? This is especially true for those who have grown up Christian. Because you know the church answers. Been in church a long time. Maybe you've grown up in church. Maybe you've just been in church as an adult for a long time. So you know the church answers. You know details about God and Jesus and the Bible and yada, yada, yada. But your life is overall unaffected by God and all he has said about himself and all he's promised you. And you choose to take the information you have about him and set it aside, choosing instead, whether passively or actively, to just kind of find real life elsewhere. This is the epitome of, of not knowing God. You can, not, you, can, you can know a lot about him and yet not know him. And it's the primary problem that each of us face. The primary problem is not out there. The primary problem is right here. But the threats aren't only from within. The threats uh, are far beyond that. He tells his son, as he's done before, that there are many in this world who are walking in the way of evil. Verse 12 in our text. These are men of perverted speech. They forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness. They rejoice in doing evil. They delight in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and devious in their ways. They, these are men that chapter 1 spoke of, of, of sinners who um, uh, are enticing to the Son. It is to join them in their thinking, uh, this enticement, uh, their behavior, and their actions, and their inactions. These are men who take what is true and they twist it to their own liking and it's just somehow kind of uh, attractive to us. These are men who choose uh, to use unwholesome speech, utilizing the declining morality of a society to approve the use of their tongues and to disregard that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. These are men who, who choose to forsake God and not just forsake God, but to rejoice in their forsaking of God. They seem to be happy in their godlessness. They, they, when it comes right down to it, their enjoyment and seeming freedom to live for themselves threatens our hearts and, and attempts us to join them, if not, entire, if not entirely, at least partially. Something attractive about the freedom that the world seems to have. These are not men who deny themselves and choose to follow Christ. These are men who don't deny themselves much of anything, and they seem pretty happy, and it's a danger to us. It seems kind of attractive. I sat at a Minnesota Starbucks one time. I was, um, our church was just down the road uh, from the Starbucks, and I, I was sitting there one morning, and and uh, I don't know what I was anxious about or what I was stressing out about, but I, for whatever the reason, I, I wasn't enjoying my relationship with the Lord. And I'm trying to lead a church to enjoy their relationship with the Lord. You see the problem. I'm sitting there enjoying the coffee, trying to, trying to listen to God's word when this older guy comes in on, a, on like a European scooter for whatever reason, I have, a, I have a thing for European scooters. So, so this, this Vespa came in, and it was a light blue, and he, he looked smart. And he had a book, and he put some glasses on. He went and sat down and crossed his legs. 
And he sat there and he read the book, sipping on his latte, and I thought, ah, that looks good. A Sunday morning, free. He has no seeming pressure in his life. It's not true, right? But it's just, see the attractiveness? There's just this little attractiveness. When you watch a movie, I remember watching one movie in the, I don't know if it was 90s or aughts, whatever, whenever it was. Um, it was a, I'm not a big J-Lo fan, but it was, but nevertheless, it was made in Manhattan, the movie. And so I'm watching this uh, romantic comedy and, um, and I'm finding myself strangely attracted to be um, wanting the kind of life that was being seen in that movie. Not want, I didn't want to be like J-Lo, but I, w I wanted to be like the guy that uh, was, was around. And, so, and he just seemed free. Just seemed to enjoy life in New York City. And it appealed to me. It, this is the kind of thing that's a threat to my soul and is a threat to us. The father tells the son of the danger of the woman who tempts so powerfully with her smooth words and sexual attraction along with the life of forsaking God and the covenant of her God. The danger of this woman is real and tempts many a person to leave the God they say they love. All for the fleeting satisfaction of soft or hardcore pornography, lust-filled thoughts at the workplace, flirting at school, watching titillating entertainment on social media or wherever. But these men of perverted speech and this adulteress with smooth words are, are dangerous for the sun and dangerous for you and I today, threatening, really truly threatening the real life that we long for. And, and it's ours for the taking. And the devious and destruction nature of their enticement leads many a man or woman to death to a place from where the Father says there is, there's no return. And, and make no mistake, the differentiation of the genders in Proverbs 2 uh, is not limited to a male and a female doing certain things. It's, it's a crossover galore. It just doesn't matter. It can be switched around in whatever way you want. How is it they threaten this wonderful life we long for? Well, slowly as we listen to the enticements of the world, as I was speaking about, we will ever so slowly and ever so imperceptibly begin to find ourselves walking in the counsel of the wicked. Psalm 1, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. Perhaps we begin to think and act like those we're spending all of our time watching or listening to. Begin to sound kind of like those people. Perhaps we become filled with anxiety and fear and anger and resentment or we choose to escape to some sort of virtual reality online and look for satisfaction there and, and the joy of contentment and rest and peace, the wonderful life that we are longing for, really longing for and made for begins to seem like a distant memory that really holds no sway in the decisions of each day. That's the dangerous and devastating trajectory path that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Romans 1 when he says, for although they knew God, this is speaking about people who made on this planet, they, though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Remember Dan's first message of the Lady Folly and Where's, where's Beth? Um, Lady, Lady Folly, right? Uh, I know you're not really Lady Folly or whatever. What is she? Lady Folly? Madam Folly. Madam Folly and Lady Wisdom. I did listen from Canada. So just that those two 
those two choices. It's like you might think you're here, but then in your actions you are moving and distrusting God and moving over to madam folly in your life. That's the choice. The reality is that sometimes we think that that passage in Romans 1 of talking about, although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God, and they claimed to be wise, they became fools. We, we kind of look out saying, oh, that's what the world's like. Uh, but that can be alive in the church. This is the threat facing you and I, says the Father in his text. But that's not all he wants to say, right? Let's, let's leave the threats. The threats are, are those in the text, and we could go on with, with more threats, but the threats are many. But there are many promises we are given to save us from those problems that threaten us, point two. The father in the text tells us, the son, that there's a way, son, to understand the fear of the Lord and to know wisdom. We're told in verse five that we can understand the fear of the Lord and if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom as we've already been taught, then we can know true wisdom. I was thinking about this this morning that as we'll get to, in a, in a moment, I, I often will encourage people to pray for wisdom. James 1, right? Pray. If you're need, needing wisdom, well, well, go after it in prayer. And God promises you will receive wisdom. Well, in, in, this, in this case, he's saying, hey, look, there's a way to understand the fear of the Lord. And he's going to get to the fact that he's not going to be talking about praying specifically. He's going to be talking about this book in front of us. It's a promise to really understand the fear of the Lord, to really then have the foundation of wisdom in our life. That is the reality and it's an amazing promise. The Father goes on to say that there is a way to find the knowledge of God and to know absolute satisfaction in knowing Him. As I've been talking about, not just knowing Him in the mind, but knowing Him in your heart, experiencing Him real satisfaction, to not just, again, know details regarding Him, but to know Him experientially, to know Him truthfully and satisfyingly, to, to know Him is to love Him and to know you are loved by Him. Uh, Job said this uh, in, in Job 42. He says, now he was, you know, According to the text, he was the most righteous man on the planet. And he says this to God. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. I want that. Oh, I want to know. I want to know him. I want to see him. And seeing God is clearly knowing life abundantly. Wouldn't it be? What a promise that is. The Father goes on to say that there's a way to understand true righteousness, justice, and equity. That rather than being enticed by all sorts of crookedness, you'll be able to discern what is right from wrong. Walk in his ways that brings life. Another promise is that God stores up wisdom for the upright. The Father tells the Son that there is a way to have a taste for the knowledge of God. To... to, uh, to uh, that the, the words of God would be pleasant to our soul. To taste and see that the Lord is good. To know that his love endures forever. What a promise. The father tells the son amid all the dangers that are facing him, there's a way to know true protection from every potential enemy. He speaks about the one who lives in integrity, uh, following him, being shielded by God, discretion wa being, uh, watching over him. He speaks about God guarding and watching his ways uh, as he walks in the way of the Lord. He speaks about being delivered or saved from the way of evil, delivered from the dangers of worthless men, delivered from the enticements of the forbidden woman. There's all this protection, all this 
um, deliver us. In essence, the, the father is telling his son what Paul would say to the Corinthian church who had their fair share of worthless men and enticing women. He says this, no temptation has taken you, but that which is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but will, with the temptation, also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You hear the protection and the guidance and the deliverance that's there. Oh my, this, this, these promises are one after another. So many wonderful promises of finding and enjoying real life in the face of so much opposition. We feel all the opposition, we know all the opposition, or at least we are aware sometimes of a portion of the opposition, and, and yet God is layering on, lathering on all these promises to us. These are God's promises. It seems as though we would ask the question, can I truly have victory over that sin with which I so easily get entangled? Can, can I truly know peace amid all the temptations towards anxiety and fear? Can I truly be filled with hope as I move steadily toward the certain sorrow of death that's before each of us? It sounds a bit too good to be true. But all of these promises, and every promise we see in this book, God's promises, they're true. He's faithful, and he'll be faithful to them. They're not just nice words. They're not just religious sayings. They are the promises of our loving God in whom there is no change. He who spoke will see them to completion. He will see them fulfilled. There are many promises were given uh, to save us from the problems that threaten us. But when we go back to the beginning of the chapter, what we see is that all these promises are conditional. They're all truly promises of God, and he will be faithful to him, but our experience of them is absolutely conditional on something that we, in fact, must do. Consider the first four verses with me. He says, my son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then these promises. How do we take hold of these promises? What must we do to take hold of the real life that's being offered? Well, there's one provision for us to take hold of these promises and experience the real life we long for. Third point and final. The father tells his son that all these promises of life are his for certain if you will receive my words. There, there, there it is. If you will receive my words. One thing, not a long list of rules to memorize and strive to live by with the constant threat of failure and shame crowding real life out. One thing. Receive my words. Words. If you're, if you're willing to listen, willing to hear, willing to receive, not just listen and have it go in one ear and out the other, but truly receiving them, accepting them, believing them. And the reception of the Father's words is evidenced by his treasuring up the commandments in him. A leaning, a leaning in to listen and treasuring up what he says. Making his ear attentive. 
to the wisdom that's being spoken, inclining his heart to strive to understand what's being spoken, a willingness to cry out for discernment and understanding of what's being spoken. All this is a posture of humility before what the Father is saying. Trusting what's being said, accepting what's being said, believing what's being said, listening to it, leaning in to hear, leaning in to see, leaning in to learn, knowing that all these promises of wisdom and understanding and protections and real contentment, real joy, real peace in this life and the life to come will be realized. The Father goes still further in this by stating that the proof of his reception will be seen clearly in the Son's earnestness, his pursuit like searching for silver um, or hidden treasure. All in all, the conditions for receiving all the promises of real life being described is, is kind of like a desperation and eagerness to truly know what wisdom is and to know this real wonderful life that's being promised by God. It's, it's, a, it's an earnestness. It's, it's this hunger. I like the stereotypical foolishness of youth that declares in his heart that the father doesn't understand or, or really know what he's talking about. Left to ourselves, of course, our tendency is a lot the same. We look elsewhere. We cry out in the wrong direction. We close our ears to what we need to hear. Think about the first temptation That God Eve, well, not necessarily the first temptation, but the first question that the enemy asked her. Did God really say? Same, same thing. The same temptation, the same question, the same thing that, that threatens us. And so did God really say? Well, yes, he did, as it turns out. And I believe and I trust and I lean in. And so the father pleads with the son in patience, uh, even, even though like he's, he's there, there's not a, a negative sense about his son in this, in this text. It's just warning him. He's saying, look, son, receive my words because they are life. Because they're life. You're looking for life? Well, my words are life. My words are life. I promise you they are life. This is the plea of a godly father to his son. And this is the plea of our heavenly father to you and I this morning. It's as though he is saying through Solomon this morning to you and I, receive my words. Moses told the people of Israel generations earlier after he spent considerable time sharing a song with them about all of God's redemptive work and his greatness and his glory. He said this in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy. He says, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but it is your very life. And by this word you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Your very life. Well, what is this word that is our very life? What are the words we're to receive and treasure up, making our ears attentive to and inclining our heart towards calling out for insight, raising our voice for understanding, seeking for it like silver, searching it out as for hidden treasure? What is this word? Well, Psalm 19 says this. The law of the Lord is perfect 
reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is what? Great reward, real life. Life that we are hungering for, life that we need to feel amid our sorrows and amid our difficulties and amid our weariness. And so do you want to know God? Really know Him and live in the good of knowing Him. Being given godly wisdom, enjoying real life with your Creator. Having a, and your Creator loves you. Oh man, your Creator loves you. He, he wants a relationship with you. He, he's, well, jumping ahead, He's gone before and He has made a way for you to know His love. His posture towards you is one of welcoming and inviting and saying, I love you. Come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Hear the promise there. And so being given godly wisdom and enjoying that real life with the Creator, having a real and vibrant understanding of the grace and mercy of God that you've been given, an ever-growing understanding of the depths of His real deep love for you, do you want to know that true satisfaction, knowing and walking in the path of righteousness, uh, knowing justice and equality, experiencing the pleasures of his word instead of just empty words on a page, knowing the pleasure in your soul rather than just seeing them as dull and lifeless, experiencing protection and deliverance from, from the perversions and enticements of our flesh, the world around us, and the devil. And on top of that, being given the assurance of eternal life. Well, it's not the application in this chapter and the whole of Scripture, whether the words of Moses, David, Solomon, any number of prophets, Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, is it not to be a people who incline our hearts to the Word of God? Hearing the Word of God and walking in obedience to what you hear, lest you deceive yourselves, what James speaks about, listening eagerly, uh, being involved in Bible studies, listening as you read and meditate and memorize the Word of God, applying your heart to understanding, crying out to God for understanding, calling out for insight, knowing that it's ultimately the Lord who will be the one who opens our eyes, to know, because it's, the, it's God in this text who's the one who gives the wisdom. He's the one who gives the understanding, and so we pray to Him in that way, knowing that He will open our eyes to see the beauty of His Word, verse 6, for from Him... In him alone comes knowledge and understanding. You think about your parenting for a moment. Consider that these words spoken by the Father to the Son are words of life, not simply some commands or demands that are meant to be heeded. Consider how you as parents might have the Word of God living actively in your own life. Are you finding real life in the Word? and bestowing that on your child. Offering him something attractive as God does you in the word. This word is breathed out by God and it's useful for teaching, isn't it? 
useful for reproof and correction and training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3, 16. This isn't the kind of... Through the years of pastoral ministry, I've seen, seen a number of things. And I've seen God's Word used as a hammer in marriages and in families and in the church. 100% time causing destruction. The Word of God is not a hammer. The Word of God is life. The Word of God is rest. The Word of God points to the one who is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Truly knowing God as he describes himself in this book, interacting with your child in the same way, that's attractive. Appealing to him or her by the mercies of God like you have been appealed to. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And you pray, don't you, as parents, that your kids will listen to not just you as the parent, but that they would listen to the Heavenly Father, the one that you direct them to in the book. Or consider your life at the workplace or at school. Consider your friendships. Consider the entertainment intake or your social media intake. How many other things are vying for attention? How many other things are crowding out the opportunities you have to know God truly? This is what the text says in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let, there's an allowance kind of thing here. This is on us. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And I fear that if you're like me, you can often not let the word of God dwell in you richly and there's all sorts of other things getting in the way. I don't know what they are for you. I think I know what they are for me, some of them. But take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I offer offer you these things. I, I must dwell in you and your word richly if I'm to know this real life and I want this real life second half of that verse says, um, well, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, comes from God, comes from the word, comes from this text, Proverbs 2, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, what we do together, whether in small groups or whether we do this on a Wednesday night or Sunday mornings, we're singing together, encouraging each other with thankfulness in our hearts to God, whatever we do in, in work or deed, we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do, do you see that the application here is not, hey, I know your life is full, so just take like a minute or two every day and try to open up God's word. The application also is not, get up at four in the morning, young mom with kids, spend two hours before the day starts, before your kids wake up, so that you're tired actually when they're wide awake and... It's not that kind of thing either. I don't know what it is for you, for you in your specific situation to let the word of God dwell richly in you. The, the point of the passage is simply life is in this book, in the God of this book. And so what are you going to do? What am I going to do to get this in, to, to, to have this feeding my soul? I don't know what it is. 
Everybody's situation is so unique, so different. So the question is not necessarily how right now, it's, it's will you. What, what will motivate a busy mom of toddlers or a struggling student or an anxious grandmother or a sorrow-laden sister or a depressed, overwhelmed brother to seek understanding like silver or search for his hidden treasure in the Word of God? We, we've, we've heard a lot about spiritual disciplines and there's much good to be considered there. But what we're being told this morning is that there is real life found in the earnest reception and diligent pursuit of the words of God for in them is where, Paul says, our hearts may be encouraged. And we are knit together in love to reach all the full riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Far from a legalistic, moralistic set of rules to, to read and try to live by and force people to follow is the word we are to receive meant to be a life of freedom and joy unspeakable, the rest unassailable even amid fiery trials because the Christian's compass is fixed on the victorious and wonderful life of trusting Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension, and his one day, his return. All the promises, the Bible says, of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And all these promises are found in the word of God for us. So may we know them. Turn to, or you'll see it up on the screen, I think, John chapter 1, verses 12, 13. Listen to this. But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? What joy is there here? A child of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then, and then Paul speaking to Galatia, the church in Galatia, who is, they're, they're trying to add all sorts of things to this basic gospel. He says, look, you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. And if a son, well, then you're an heir with God, or through God. And then Paul in Ephesians 1, in him, this is, this is truth, this is a promise, and this is truth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you received his word, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of of his glory. So when we're not inclining our heart to him, I, I say those things because like, what, what's going to motivate us no matter what situation we're in? Is it, is it if like real, vibrant, peace-soaked, hope-inducing life not motivating? I'm asking myself the question right now. Why don't I open God's word as often as I should? Why don't I meditate on it as much as I should? Why, how might I be able to grow in certainty? I sat in my home yesterday fighting, I'm not sure what, probably some level of grief. And so I'm trying to give myself grace and whatever, but, but still, it's like, I'm saying, 
But Lord, I know that you are true to your word. I know that you will meet me in the grief. I know that you'll meet me in the quietness. I know that my life is not dependent on my ability to do much of anything whatsoever, but it's all in you. And so, so Jesus, help me to believe your word. Help cause me to trust your word. Help me to believe what I'm preaching tomorrow. So when we're not inclining our heart towards him, when we're struggling to find time or take the time, we can pray prayers like this. Oh Lord, incline my heart to your testimonies. Psalm 119, 36. Or Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes, Lord, that I would behold wonderful things out of your law. And we open up the word of God and we read and we meditate and we memorize and we obey and we use it to inform our prayers. I was listening to the song yesterday, you know, um, open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch him and say that we love him. Open my ears, Lord. Help us to listen. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. Simple Maranatha song from like 1745 or something. Long time ago. But that's a prayer. So we open up the word of God and we read. And I encourage you this week to go to Psalm 119. It's broken up into 21 sections. Um, one of the sections is together, but the so three weeks, take a section each day, the first letter, Aleph, take that, take that section, meditate on it, pray through it, ask God to do that same thing to you, to pray the prayers of the psalmist. That's tomorrow, Tuesday, do the second, third, and Wednesday, and on and on for the next three weeks, and let's expect God to move in our hearts. The question is, will you receive his word, treasure up his commands? And I pray that each of us do just that, so that we might take up in our hands, in our hearts, the very real life that is ours in Christ.